listening to White the Truck. Welcome to Monday and let's get ready to truck it. I'm Dooner here with the dude, Michael Vincent. Absolutely perfect, beautiful, gorgeous day in Freight Alley. And I've never been more ready to truck it, my friend. I had a perfect weekend. It was my, my wife's birthday. We watched, birthday. Uh, we watched Raya and The Last Dragon. Oh, did you? other things. Yeah. What did you think was a, was a better Disney princess story? Raya and The Last Dragon or... Meghan uh, Merkel and Prince Harry on uh, Oprah. Better or more interesting? <laughs> more interesting. Uh, I'm going to go with Prince Harry and Meghan. Uh, yeah, I didn't <laughs> Some get not one. so flattering uh, information or insights into palace uh, life there. No, not really. I do recommend. I do recommend um, Nine Last Dragon though. It is twenty nine ninety nine on that Disney. Was it good? It was good. It was good. It's definitely worth a watch. It was like an eight point five out of ten. Oh, really? Super, super nice. watchable. Eight year old and six year old girls. Uh, what? Eight year old and six year old girls? You think? My boys are six and four, and they've watched it four times already. All right, there you go. Yeah, so Done. pretty good selling Done point. Deal. Washington Post TikTok guy on Twitter, he says, bad day for the royal family, especially the Burger King. Because, you know, Burger King UK, they got in trouble, too, for writing, tweeting, women belong in the kitchen. This was a, uh, a sort of a troll bait tweet, to yeah, uh, which definitely. they had under it, if, it, which under it they tweeted, if they want to, of course, only 20% of chefs are women, but it's Twitter, so everyone got super offended by this. What do you think? I'm, I'm not so sure Burger King uh, needs to be talking about chefs. Is, are, are you a chef if you yeah. cook for Burger King? I, just, I know. So I don't, really I don't like, know if that really qualifies. They're really the right purveyors? I don't know. Well, <laughs> not sure. <laughs> hey, you know who's looking to shore up their expertise, though, in what they can talk about? It's Panasonic. They're going to buy Blue Yonder for $6.5 billion. It's their biggest deal since 2011 when they bought uh, Nike, Nike. Not that Nike. Not that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, if you're not familiar with Blue, on- Blue Yonder, you may be if you watch our events, right? They are expected to uh, be acquired by Panasonic, according to that report. Um, the Japanese manufacturing company is expected to pay that $6.5 billion. Panasonic acquired a 20% stake in Blue Yonder in 2020 for approximately $790 million. Mm-hmm. They must have liked what they saw because they're expanding so, yeah. outwards and they're, they're picking in more. They do say that negotiations are still in the final stage, and there is a chance that the agreement will not reach an agreement. So I hope we didn't jinx it for him. I hope we didn't either. Uh, but 6.5000000000 <laughs> will make me agree to a lot of stuff. Yeah. Don't blame us. We're not the only ones. Yeah, we're not it. Yeah. We didn't do it. Well, let's hit the bed, man. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Legend Transportation, which has been establishing partnerships through outstanding customer service since 2007. Learn more at newlegendinc.com. All right, let's hit yeah, the headlines. Man. Yeah. They're getting better hit. at that. Getting better every time. <laughs> Biden expected to sign LTL driver pension relief package. So it's a little, uh, little driver news out of Capitol Hill. John Gallagher yeah. reports legislation bailing out financially troubled multi-employer pension pans, including a plan covering thousands of employees and retirees from LTL carriers Yellow and ABF Freight could be signed into law by President Joe Biden as early as this week. The Butch Lewis Pension Plan Act of 2021 was included in the $1.9 trillion COVID rescue package that was approved on Saturday by the U.S. Senate along party lines of 50 to 49. The package is expected to be taken to the U.S. House of Representatives on Tuesday for final approval before being sent to the White House for Biden's signature. Expected to pass, at least at this moment. Yeah, I would think so. And sources contacted by FreightWaves noted that the pension relief portion of the package, it, it, it made it through the Senate relatively unscathed, right? Yep. Un, unchanged. So uh, reaching the uh, 
you know, it should remain intact and reach the, high, uh, the, the White House. You go there. And Teamster General President Jim Hoffa said, for more than two decades, Teamster members, uh, retirees, and officials have worked tirelessly to make sure the hard-earned retirements of its members are protected. Teamster Vice President John Murphy, who um, has led the union's battle to protect member and retiree pensions, called the Senate's passage of the legislation one giant step for, toward bringing this whole issue to conclusion uh, that will lift such a terrible burden off the minds of thousands of retirees. Retirees and active workers. Yeah, the pension portion of the rescue affects multi-employer pensions covering 1.3 million pan plan participants. I know everyone gets gets nervous when you talk about pensions. Where's the money going to be? Mm-hmm. Teamster Vice President John Murphy, he says, Democrats realize something had to be done now. Republicans have never been willing to address the multi-employer pension crisis as a serious issue. They've been uh, an obstacle rather than a facilitator. So the Democrats have fulfilled one of their promises to American workers and retirees. Again, those are the words of Vice President uh, John Murphy of the Teamsters Union. Not yeah, obviously they're happy with this decision and the, the progress so far. A uh, pr- produce season comes early from Jack, Zach, Jack, Zach Strickland's chart of the week. Zach reports that as dry van capacity has somewhat started to cover, reefer capacity has become even more scarce as niche, national reefer rejection rates hit an all-time high, topping 50% this week. Somewhat surprising, the capacity crunch is uh, largely targeted in areas of the storm that do not directly affect those, such as Southern California. Yeah, it's in areas not affected by the storms, right? So though prone to wild swings in price just about any time of the year, the cost of temperature controlled or reefer capacity does not typically see this level of increase in tightness uh, in rates until really April and June. That's yeah. really when things start kicking in. So historically, that's when the several you know several of the produce uh, seasons start to kick in around the country. At this time of year, most of the produce that is sourced from California, like lettuce, peppers, tomatoes, uh, they originate from other parts of the world. Right? Most of the lettuce production is in the state's largest crops by revenue is moved to Arizona as many people know, uh, where conditions are much better during the uh, winter months. And crop rotation regulations also make it necessary to relocate some of this production. Mexico carries the bulk of the load of many of the other crops. Yeah. And spot rates for produce from Los Angeles to Dallas were at $4,700 all in the week of February 10th. Right now, the same exact lane is $6,200 per load per week, more than 60% higher than each of the previous three years' value. It's the reason we call this episode Adapt or Die. Yeah, exactly. You Bob Boosie said that's why he turned in today. It's called Adapt or Die. But production production made a comment to us before we came on. They said, well, what were the dinosaurs really supposed to do? They're always <laughs> used as like sort of this iconograph of, of extinction, right? Adapt but, or Die, right? Okay, but what were they supposed to do? A comet came down. I don't know. Instantaneous adaptation, I guess you're supposed to I develop. I don't, I don't know. Well, I think one of the reasons we like to blame the dinosaurs, too, is they're dead, so they can't really come back and, like, well, complain they or prepare for the future. They couldn't future-proof themselves. Let's put it that way, right? We've been talking about that with supply chains. Well, so maybe they go. should have known, Maybe too. that's it. All right, vaccinations at truck stops. Trade groups are pushing for them, right? Alan Adler reports that trucking trade groups and a group of fleets and drivers are urging the Center for Disease Control and Prevention to allow truck stops and travel plazas to offer vaccinations to drivers who are passing through. Makes sense, right? Yep. Some drivers, though, however, do not think this is a good idea. And this is uh, Carol Dickey. Here's a couple quotes from her. She said, I do not think they are sterile enough for that. I'm not enthused about this deal at all. Uh, she's a long-haul driver. She, produce, she moves produce and eggs for Buckley Trucking. They're based in Bashir, Texas. She also says, when this pandemic began, we were America's heroes. Now, when it comes to do the shots, we get kicked to the curb like we always do. 
Uh, yeah, so uh, um, the NATSO, National Association of Truck Stop uh, Operators, the American Trucking Association, the Truckload Carriers Association, National Private Truckload Council, National Association of Small Trucking Companies, St. Tr- Christopher's Trucking Relief Fund, the Tank Truck Carriers, all co-signed a letter to the CDC director, uh, Rochelle Walensky. The very nature of the trucking, truck stop, and travel plaza industry allows an opportunity to have an immediate and meaningful impact on the distribution of vaccines to essentially uh, to essential truck stop employees and truck drivers, the letter said. Distributing COVID vaccines at truck stops and travel plazas would make inoculations easier for the unique needs of the truck drivers who spend hundreds of days each year away from home. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, but see, Dickie, who we heard from earlier, mm-hmm. she's not done. She says other than stopping for fuel and showers, she avoids truck stops because she said all that zeal that they put into to cleaning them during the beginning of the pandemic is just gone. It's, it's just about mask enforcement now. She says, I've been in rest stops. They are disgusting. They only care about masks. Texas this week, they lifted uh, their state requirements for for mass and Dickie also says the pandemic is far from over, so she's not sure if they should have done that. Owner operator Steve Halston said he disagrees with administering the vaccine at truck stop because he thinks the vaccine is experimental. Salston and his driving partner, Sandy Gauthier, they do not plan to get vaccinated, Michael Vincent. Coincidentally, though, the, the duo at the time of the interview was pulling a load of vaccines to uh, from to Kansas City, Missouri. <laughs> so, so they don't believe in it, but they're hauling it. I don't know. So it's, it's, it's kind of hard rhetoric there because you have a driver saying, you know, I don't want them at truck stops. It's not clean or anything. But then at the other side of their mouth saying, well, I don't think I would take it anyway because it's experimental. And it's like, well, do you want it or do you not? I think it would the option would be great. But I, they do make a point about you having to have a certain level of cleanliness. Maybe they have to set up well, tents I'm or something. I'm fairly certain they're not going to just have like a bathroom, bathroom attendant. Yeah. Would you like a mint or, or a vaccination? COVID, yeah. I mean, I don't, some COVID I'm sure that's not exactly no. how it's going to go down. It's not that easy to sneak in and get a vaccine either. No, I got caught. <laughs> I know you got caught over the weekend. I did. I did. <laughs> that wasn't out <laughs> in here in Chattanooga. People out there, he wasn't trying to like cut the line. No, they actually start for the level that he qualifies for today. Yeah, I, 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 I qualify today, and there wasn't anything open, so I just went. Well, I'll try one well, Sunday. Well, the, the yeah, sign up let you. The sign up let me do it, but then they reneged yeah. on it. So they got their stuff together. They're not yeah. letting people yeah. cut the line, which is nice. Now let's talk to Sherman Barnes too. He is a fellow Dogecoin millionaire like myself. He is a head of sales and marketing over at Trio Trucking. Sherman. Thanks for joining me. Uh, hey, how you doing? <laughs> how's it going? Hey, there how's the coin treating you these days? Um, well, you know, I, I go in and out, so uh, I try to ride it like a wave. Uh, so lately, I haven't been in it quite as much as I, as I was, but I, I continually watch and I buy the dip and then I ride it up is what I typically do. And then I pull cash out. Wait, 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 wait. Buy, <laughs> buy low, sell high. Is that what you're trying to <laughs> tell me? fundamentals. Oh yeah, I mean oh. yeah. So basically, what I do is buy. Yeah, so I so when when the do, when the Doge would go down, then I would buy more of it, and then when it when it shoots up, then I would sell some of it and then keep some of it in there as well. Keep that so, base. Uh, yeah. you know, I make some I make some nice coin doing it. I mean, yeah. it was it was good. Now, Sherman, we were watching your videos, and I, I've been out. We've both, Michael and I have both been in sales before. Oh, yeah. And you're just talking about how you like to go over to warehouses, and you just sneak right in through that dock door, and you, start, you just start walking through the facility, taking pictures and doing sales calls. Tell us a little bit about this approach and how successful has it been for you, and have you been uh, removed from any properties doing this? So believe it or not, I've not been kicked out. So, so, so just for context, I'll typically have uh, any, a, a, a formal meeting I'm in an area, and if it's an area that I've not been into before and they have industrial parks, then I'll just go through the back dock door. It's really easy. I mean, you know, man, my dad, um, you know, was a shipping and receiving 
supervisor growing up. I worked in warehouses, so I'm just going in talking plain, like, you know, how you doing? They'll they'll give you all the information that you need to know. I mean, you can see what the product is. Uh, you know, they'll let you take pictures and look at what the stems and things are, is it shrink wrap, whatever it may be. So has it been helpful? Um, absolutely. Um, what you one thing that I I would suggest is you have to make sure, for example, that you have a pen and pad with you at all times. Sometimes they won't be able to meet with you. But there were a couple of times when I did it before, when I first started, that I didn't have the material needed for me to, to have a meeting because I just was kind of going in to get cards or get their cards. And since I wasn't prepared, I, I had to borrow a pen and pad from them. So that was a little embarrassing. So I always make sure I'm prepared to have a meeting. And I and when I did it this past week, I actually had a meeting. Now, whether or not that particular opportunity is going to turn out to work for us, you know, from a, from a price perspective or operational perspective is something else. But I had a couple of meetings, you know, impromptu just walking through the back door this past week. It was awesome, especially with capacity challenges going on right now. People are, you know, more than willing to, more than willing to talk to you. I love it, Sherman. I, I watched that and I saw the post and, I, and it just reminded me of my days going out there and making those those different sales calls. I've had guys uh, that are sales uh, people that I was training who who absolutely refused to, to do that. And wow. I, I, I let them go because, hey, you got to be willing to go to jail to make the sale at some point. Right? Yeah, <laughs> kind of. I mean, have you ever gone up there and just said, you know, hey, what are you doing on this property? Oh, I got a I got a meeting with the uh, transport yeah. logistics uh, guy. Uh, his name's, uh, you know, Joe. Oh, yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, right. Or, sorry, hey, it'll be a no solicitation sign. And it's like, oh, I didn't know that was for me. You know, so you just kind of play dumb. So I've not gotten kicked out, but I have had people. You know, I, so I make sure I have a mask on, but some people, are, just some people are more open to it than not. You know, it just, it just kind of depends. So you can kind of read the body language to tell, but 95% of the people when I walk through, um, they'll let me in and kind of walk me in through the front. So, so it's been, it's been fun. And then plus, man, just to be honest, sometimes you just get tired of, you know, talking to people on the phone and they may not be picking up or emailing. Sometimes, I mean, you got to tell me no to my face, man. You know, uh, yeah, sure. I'm just going to get there and talk to you, you know, so. Yeah. So sure, well, sure, man, when they would be like, no listening to me, I'd be like, I- I'm not that kind of girl. You know, not yeah. like a lady. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm just, I'm a respectable businessman. Here. <laughs> yeah, I'm not here soliciting anything. I don't That's know what you're hilarious. talking about. <laughs> well, hey, sure, There's so I mean, warehouses right now, so warehouse capacity, it's been pretty tight. Everyone needs some place to put their freight. What is, what's that looking like from your point of view right now? Is this, is this an easy sell? So, so I'm not, so, so yes, so yes, it is. So I'm, I'm not selling warehouses just for context. So I'm doing, you know, full truckload and intermodal sales. Uh, but yes, I mean, it's, it's definitely been an easier sale, particularly now with capacity being the way that it is. I mean, you know, for us recruiting drivers has been a challenge. I mean, we have more freight coming in and we just don't have the drivers, you know, or, or even the, the, the corporate side of what we do, you know, finding drivers right now has really been challenging. So it's, it's tons of opportunity, um, you know, the, the the spot market's going bananas, as you guys have said. So it's, it's tons of opportunity, and people have been open to it. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy market. It certainly is. So we, we talked a, a bit and made some jokes about the old school tactics of, of sales, which definitely still ring true. You've got to have that gumption and you've got to have that desire to go out there and knock. You know, one of the things going in that back door too, Sherman, that I always did was you can learn a lot about a company even if you don't get that sale. You can see what they're shipping, how big the stuff is, who's carrying their freight, all kinds of stuff. But aside from going around that back, what are some of the tech uh, and, and tools that, that you use alongside of those old school techniques like just, you know, walking in the back door yeah so i'm very active on uh linkedin um if anybody follows me on linkedin i'm very active there not only with the videos but you know sending video messages to people privately you know um th- there's that capability within linkedin 
Um, I also use a lot of email marketing tools. Um, one of my favorite ones, I know some people use Constant Contact. I personally use MailChimp because um, you can create personalized messages to get to the customer. Um, some additional technology I would say that I use is, um, you know, social media, Twitter. I've reached out. I'm trying to get a bit more active on Twitter. Um, but as, as you get more active on these platforms and start having messages and going back and forth and developing relationships, it'll, it'll create opportunities. Uh, so those are just, you know, social media and the email marketing piece are two of the tools that I use. I thought about, you know, I, I talked to somebody about texting, but I think texting is a little bit too intrusive there. So, so just like constant contact, you can have 2000 emails, you know, in your email list, just hypothetically. So what would it look like to email, you know, potential clients, not email, but text potential clients, cell phones. But to me, I did a little bit of, you know, asking around with customers and clients and they said, that's that's a little too intrusive. So I don't, I don't know about the text piece yet. I haven't really made my mind up. So part of your adapting is is old school and new school, right? Yeah. So he's doing the old school thing of just, hey, you got to walk through the door. You see you see a truck tucking, touching the back of the dock, or even better, you don't see one but the door open, just jump through it and go do yeah. it. And then you got the tech tools to help supplement it. One other thing you're doing to, to adapt is to help people with utilization, in this case, sales utilization. So a lot of times we'll get leads, we'll get something for freight, but it doesn't really fall under the scope of what we do. But one of the things that you're doing, I saw a post from you, is you are paying people to give you some of those, those leads. Tell us how that works. Yeah, so basically there's a program where, you know, there's a lot of opportunity um, always um, that companies may not be able to engage with. So hypothetically, let's say that you're a a flatbed carrier and you don't do domestic, you know, 53-foot drive-in freight. You know, what do you do with those opportunities, right? And and, um, Or if you uh, are a freight broker and you, you know, don't have intermodal capability, you know, those are opportunities that you can bring to us as well. So Basically, what we found is, you know, and we've had some success in doing it. You know, we don't want anyone to get into trouble. So you got to depend on what your employer wants you to do or not do. But if there are opportunities where a company can't execute on those opportunities because they don't have that capability, we're willing to partner with them and operate that business. And then they get a percentage of the profit for every load they ship. And, and, it's, and it's been successful for those. Uh, those Beautiful. Yeah, that's a really interesting concept there. So kind of a finder's fee for the different shipments that are out there, right? Sure. It's not as long as it's yeah. as long as it's above board with the shipper and, and constantes, then you're not double brokering and you're 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 well you're ready to go, right? Yeah, and that was I guess yeah, that was yeah, a, a good follow up question there. That, so it's not double brokering because yeah, you're not actually doing are you're not actually paying for the shipment yeah. uh, in advance than than having them move it. Instead, you're taking the lead or the opportunity yeah. and giving it to them, and then getting paid back. And, and it, it did, you did say you like a couple, you know, thousands of dollars you've paid out through this program, correct? Yeah, yeah. So it's not a double brokering or anything like that. It's more of a, you know, uh, someone's introducing a introducing us to a client that right. they may have. So, for example, like one one guy is, is is in the free sporting industry. He does air and ocean. They don't touch domestic, right? But and he has good relationships with the customers that he's doing. For- um, and so basically he introduced us to his client, you know, and we're doing, we're conducting the business. We're doing it all ourselves. And then he gets paid based upon that. And yes. he owns his own freight forwarding. Yeah. So instead of sending the lead to the, like the, the useless guy, you know, useless yeah. front of yours who never just sends you anything back. Now you can actually get, you, know that, guy, you know, that guy too. Everyone's had that guy. Yeah. That useless yeah. 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 They think yeah. you just exist oh, yeah. to give them leads. They never scratch your back. That's right. They, I want a welt yeah. on my back. No. If I scratch yeah. your back, I want a welt. <laughs> I want a welt, Sherman. Sherman, I'm going to spin this wheel for you. I'm going to spin the wheel of stupid questions. That's we're right. going to see what Don't it lands on. We're going to see what you answer, okay? Let's do it. It's going, Let's around. Do it. it's going around and around. What could it be? 
What could it be for? What would be the perfect stupid question? Did somebody for grease Sherman this wheel? Land I know. Really I think lately. I just put too much mustard on it. I'm always putting too much. <laughs> All right. You're about to sell an NFT. This is a good one for you. You know the Dogecoin and the meme stocks. Okay. You're about to sell an NFT of your greatest sports moment. What is it? Ooh. Uh, Come on, Al Bundy. The greatest sports moment? <laughs> yeah. So we're talking NFL or what are we talking? Anytime. Any, your sports moment. No, you personally. You, you it could personally. be like youth soccer. Oh, <laughs> okay. So this is this is pretty embarrassing, but it's epic. Um, so when I first started playing basketball as a kid at elementary, uh, I went to the wrong goal and scored for them. Oh, nice! nice. There you go. <laughs> nice. The the Barnes oh, negative two epic. dunk. The negative, the negative two, two dunk. dunk. I love it. The negative sixty five thousand dollars in Ethereum. <laughs> you got. <laughs> Hey Sherman, we got to jump to another guest right now. But if people want to reach out, they want to they want to connect with you. How do we do it? They want you to score. They want you to score on the hoop for them. How do they go and do it? So you can find me on LinkedIn, Sherman uh, Barnes the second. It's easy to find, or you can find us at www.trioenterprises.com. Thank you, thank you so much for joining us, today, right, Sherman. Doge to a dollar, man. Doge to a dollar. That's awesome. It wouldn't have been so bad, but then he got a penalty for you know for taunting after he dunked it. <laughs> that is like, yeah, anytime I can score on myself. <laughs> All right, let's talk to Jennifer Kazmachek, right? Yeah. Kazmarchek. She's Director of Operations for Freight Brokerage at XBO Logistics. Jennifer, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Yeah, thank you, Dinner and the Dude. Appreciate you having me. I'm so fired up to be on. I love your show, What the Truck, and fantastic job pronouncing my last name. Very well done. Uh, so, <laughs> they did give me a little cheat. I, I, your wonderful marketing team did give me a little cheat there on how exactly to say the last name, so I was, that was very helpful. <laughs> Well, you did a fantastic job. Um, well, so a bit about me. I've been in the industry for over 15 years. I had zero experience when I started. Uh, my, my college degree, biology, math, seemed to not translate at the time, but thankfully it actually did. Um, and I just, I loved being able to deliver results for people, right? Faced with the challenge, you figure out a way to make it happen. Um, fast forward a couple years ago, I got the opportunity to uh, lead our Ann Arbor, Michigan brokerage branch, which is one of our largest branches in the XPO network. And seeing that team develop and grow, it what it's what I continue to love uh, about what I get to do every single day. That's awesome, Jennifer. So uh, we saw that XBO is is celebrating International uh, Women's Day today. Did yeah. you know that? Hey, a little cowbell for that. Yeah, too. absolutely. Let's, let's hear it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Never too right. much cowbell. No, no, you always need more cowbell. Everybody can do that. The, <laughs> the theme for International Women's Day is choosing to challenge, right? How does that apply to the transportation industry? Oh, that is, that's daily life, right? In the transportation industry, you you're faced with a challenge and you have to deliver results. You have to figure out how to make it happen. Um, you know, and when I think back to 2020 and just how challenging that was across the board uh, for everybody and, and thinking about how XPO navigated that uncertain time, it was just by focusing on safety, you know, and by doing that, our team was able to focus on delivering results. So it really set us up to be able to grow. Uh, and when I look across our organization, we grew and Ann Arbor particularly, we grew by over 40%, you know, and that put us on a path to continue that trajectory in 2021 and beyond. Beautiful. That, that is beautiful. So, uh, um, it's a lot of growth for, for any single team. Right. And, and as you think about 2021, what are some of the areas, uh, uh, to focus on for you? Well, I think first and foremost, we have to consider, um, how we, continue to invest in our people and our technology. 
you know, XPO is a growth organization. And to sustain that growth, we have to invest in developing the people who power our technology, right? You'll see those types of programs throughout our organization. Um, and in, in the beginning of 2021, uh, an executive leadership development program called RISE was launched. Um, and I am honored uh, to be con- included in that first in that first group. Uh, we are uh, 19 participants. It's a global program. Uh, it goes for the entire year. We are going to be able to strengthen our leadership skills. Uh, we're going to receive executive level coaching. You know, we're participating in task force work to focus on our initiatives in 2021. And knowing that our company, XPO, sees value enough to invest that time and resources in us, it means the world, you know. Um, another really important uh, thing that we have to continue to do is focus on developing a culture that's inclusive and diverse. The, the challenges that our shippers, our carriers that we face demand perspective from groups that are diverse because that's how we're going to get to the best solution possible. Yeah, well, congratulations on two fronts, right? You're being included in that RISE program. And also XBO, they went winning the top diversity employer awards from, what is it, diversityjobs.com this year. Mm-hmm. What fosters mm-hmm. diversity and inclusion at XBO? It's part of adapting, right? Oh, for sure. And yeah, thank you for that call out. I, so when we look at the, the industry um, from a, a workforce perspective, about 15% of the industry is, is women. You know, at XPO, though, it's 26 percent. And the way we attract women to our team, uh, as well as men, but the way we attract women to our team is by having a very broad uh, benefits package. Right. If you're focusing on growing your family, if you're focusing on education, we have policies and programs that allow you to develop those areas of your life. You know, you're a more well-rounded individual. And I think another key element is just bringing awareness to what it looks like from a day-to-day perspective, what the behavior looks like to truly support a diverse culture. You know, we have a series of diversity and inclusion courses that all of our people leaders, current as well as those who aspire to that role, take. You know, Jennifer, XBO is uh, obviously an industry leader in creating diversity and, and an inclusive culture and in technology and freight advancements. There's no doubt about it, as, as Dooner and I both know. But as you think back on your personal career, who are the past leaders that have really inspired you? Well, I tell you, I've been so fortunate throughout my career. And, and when I look at the XPO network, you know, we have such a strong team. But since we are uh, celebrating International Women's Day, I'll focus on uh, my female counterparts. You know, I think of our executive leadership team, Katrina Liddell, um, my counterparts in Burbridge, Alyssa Slaughter, Jenna Sargent, Candace Vantelberg. These women are fierce competitors. And I learn so much from them every single day, you know, and, and I consider our, our uh, shipper and carrier network and how our diversity within our XPO team mirrors that of that group. You know, um, Renee, I, she's one of our shippers. I've worked with her for four years. I mean, this woman commands a room. Uh, you've got Deb Carter. She's an entrepreneur. She started Matriarch Transportation. You know, these are women who make other women realize what's possible. You know, they're key to everyone's success. Well, wow. so you've taken in all this mentorship for them and you have your own career to look back on. So what advice would you give women looking to break into transportation? Well, you know, I started in this industry with zero background in logistics. 
you know, and, and I look back 15 years later and I'm, I have the privilege of leading one of the largest branches and the second largest brokerage uh, in the world. You, know, you can do anything you set your mind to. If you want it, make it happen. You know, you have to find a team that aligns with your core values. You know, one of the reasons I decided to join XPO was because the organization, you know, the people within the organization uh, embrace innovation, diversity, social responsibility, gender equality. You know, at XPO is a place where people are championed and challenged to be better today than we were yesterday. You know, and when you think of that concept of choose to challenge, if that's who you are, if that's what you're about, XPO is your home. Jennifer, thank you so much for uh, your insights, for talking about the leaders in your past and talking about XPO and what you guys are doing there. If somebody wants to get in touch and make it happen and go for it with XPO, where do they go? Yeah, please visit XPO.com. You'll see all of our career opportunities, uh, benefits program, all the charity work we've done in the past and continue to do. Um, you can also check out one of our vice presidents, Josephine Baresh's blog about the theme Choose to Challenge. That can be found on news.xpo.com. Uh, and thank you to both of you. Again, love what the truck. Uh, you guys are fantastic. Thanks, Jennifer. Actually, a couple of people watching along, they had to say hi to you as well. Jake McLeod said, hi, Jennifer. What's up? Long time no see. And, and Rhonda over at Global Trends said, good things said about uh, XBO amongst our team. So getting some love from the audience as well. Thank you one more time for joining us. Appreciate that. Thank, thank you, you so much. Take it easy. All right. Again, we'd like to thank our friends at Legend Transportation for sponsoring today's episode. Legend partners with strategic customers while providing seamless solutions for its drivers and its West Regional's premier freight transportation company. Learn more at newlegendinc.com. Michael Vincent, before we get over to Frank and he plays it forward okay. for us, what's your NFT? What, what's your sports moment NFT? My sports moment? Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Well, um, how about an in-your-face moment after a tackle and I got blasted and woke up on the sidelines? Oh, Just knocked out cold right in the middle of the game. That'll do it. Yeah, trying to, ha, got you and then laid out. I like it. I like that Sherman went funny because when I was thinking about yeah. this, I was like, yeah, there's that one time I had like a really – a really great street hockey game. Yeah. Yeah. Like no one could get it through the five hole. They couldn't put the biscuit in the basket. It was playing goalie. The Rebel Alliance. Well, like, yeah. Know, like yeah, yeah Boston Mass. Lots of street hockey up there, right? A little bit of street hockey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we more played it a bit. We more played. ice hockey. All right. Let's play it forward with our next guest. It's Frank Kenny. He is director of sales enablement at Clio. He's coming to us out of Lutz, Florida. Hey, what's up, Frank? Hey, guys. How are you? How you guys doing? What's up, man? So you got caught on camera with us last time with the guitar in the background, and we were like, man, he's got to come on. Uh -huh. Then we looked at your LinkedIn profile pic, and you're holding the guitar like the honky-tonk man on it, and we're like, he's got, definitely got to play it forward. So I just, want to, I just want to come in, spend some time, hopefully uh, uh, work with some of the fabulous people in the studio, and they've kind of got a nice two-shot up and, and everything. So I just sat down, and I laid out a little bit of bass, and Ooh. Uh, Ooh, see if out. I can pull a little bit of that up. Yeah. And I just want to put a little guitar into it and just, just mellow it out for you guys. But, you know, you, everybody need a little rhythm, so I'm going to have it just happen for you guys. And just pop it in. Yeah. And then take my two favorite, my two favorite hosts. Did you see the no solicitation sign? Not that kind of guy. 
Oh, wow. Look at this. <laughs> Whoa. Man, Frank, you you created a song on the fly here during the show. This is maybe the one of the more unique play it forwards. And there, there you go. And and um my uh my my uh my digital asset that uh I'm gonna start selling out to all the uh the uh what the truck fans and they can reach me. I've got I'm Tuner. I'm Tuner, the dude, Michael Vincent. I'm selling those. Oh wow. As like NFTs? I'm gonna sell them as NFTs. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Tokenize, you better cut me in on that one. Yeah, you better cut I, me I in. I was just saying, my agent will be in contact. Hey, Frank, you're going to need. Uh, <laughs> you, you might need some semiconductors to play those things. I actually saw. What was it? Tech Republic. You were you were quoted in recently. You were talking about this semiconductor yeah. issue. Can you uh, shed a little insight on that? What were you talking about in that article? And we've covered the semiconductor uh, on this show, but we'd like to also hear your perspective on it. Yeah, we were talking about the, the, the bigger perspective of what's happening um, it, throughout the maritime industry and how so much of what uh, is going on uh, in terms of logistics, one, has this impact globally, but it, and then it, it affects each and every one of us individually. And again, as you look across my desk and around my office and phones and everything, they're, semi, they're semiconductors, they're chips in everything. And many of these uh, factories and these assembly plants are located overseas. And so they come to us in the containers that are on the ships that are at this point presently um, kind of somewhere between one and three and four miles out uh, of the port of Los Angeles and the port of Long Beach. And it's just taking forever to get these things unloaded and get these things to where it needs to be. So we spend a lot of time talking about the capacity in the United States and trucking and just some of the things that are going on. And thank you, Sonar, for, for, uh, and FreightWaves for giving us great insight into that. But there's this whole other side, this bottleneck that's happening at the ports. And those guys are moving just as fast as they can, but trying to be as safe as they can. And as a result, um, you take that, you take demand, and all of the sudden – You've got this massive delay and anyone that is building anything that needs some type of semiconductor or some type of chip, everything, right? Everything, um, they're going to have that problem. And, and that means the supply chain and as President Biden talks about, you know, rethinking the supply chain, you've got companies that now have to think about that long tail on how are we going to get the things off of the off of the out of the containers off of the ships that are coming from everywhere so it's it, it's a real serious issue and it's impacting um it's impacting for all of us uh, everything that almost everything that we're going to buy that has electronics in it from Amazon so we're feeling that impact yeah we certainly are frank and i mean you know the the thing today is adapt or die right and yeah. and this is one of those instances in, in my mind where we went down a policy road or whatnot to and 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 let the semiconductor manufacturing escape our shores right sure <clears throat> and and like many of the other things now we're looking at okay future proofing the supply chain and manufacturing is this something where we need to adapt uh, now or the next time maybe we die because uh, we don't adapt to this situation and understand that we've got to have some resiliency in our sourcing and and some redundancy there to 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 avoid such an impact as it's having right now yeah I think that there are a couple of things that we can do 
Um, I think that we have to start to think about uh, different factories, new factories, new places that we can start to manufacture these things, uh, whether it be here in the uh, in, in the U.S. or in North America or someplace that we can just get good old truckers to get it there. You know, and, and so that's one piece of it. But the other piece of that's forced us to do is is have some transparency and be realistic with our customers, the end user, because that impact that's ha- that they're having, they're just not happy. You know, when it takes instead of taking uh, six weeks to maybe get the new phone, now it's two and three months. So those things you want to have that transparency. So we want to bring that throughout the supply chain. We want to think about assembling a little closer, uh, maybe closer to home. Um, And so it doesn't mean bringing everything out of Asia. But exploring what the world looks like in Canada, what the world looks like in South America and Central America, and how can I start to not just be reliant on uh, the Port of Seattle, the Port of Long Beach, the, the, the Port of Los Angeles for everything that's coming in. So we, we have some significant work to do, but I think that we can do it in multiple phases around the supply chain. One thing that sounds I, I was reading that article and one thing that is a little nerve wracking is not only we only do we have a semiconductor shortage, but there was a quote for Darshan Nike He's the EVP of telecommunications at Cap Gemini North America. And he said shortages will most likely start to get resolved around the time the battery shortage goes into full swing. Yeah, perfect. Is the automotive industry in a lot of trouble here? Yeah, it was interesting. I was talking to uh, a few of my colleagues over at um, at FedEx and they asked the same question. I think the battery issue is slightly different. Um, again, it, it comes back to supply chain, what type of visibility, but there's other currency that's involved now. So ethically, what are we willing to do to pull the cobalt out of the ground? What are we willing to do to get the lithium out of the ground? Mm. So now we've got um, the cobalt and the lithium coming from places like uh, the Congo. And so um, are uh, do people want some type of do people want some type of su- sustainability when we deal with um, uh, when we deal with how we're mining and who we're doing business with and those types of things along with the uh, geopolitical um, um, elements that's going to be a problem so I don't think it's going to be shortages because there's not enough I think there's a, there's going to be shortages because of the other interruptions. And, mm. and, and people really do care. People care about things like carbon footprints and, and, and think about the diamond trade in the 80s and the 90s and, and the big kind of the revolt against that where people yeah. wanted ethically sourced. Same thing with lithium and cobalt. And that's going to be that's a, that's essential for electronic vehicles. People get yeah. dismissive about this kind of stuff. They go, I don't like EVs. I mean, that doesn't yeah. mean you don't build resiliency. That doesn't mean you're not aware of the market. You know, right. there's a lot of policies coming into place. And if you listen to this show, you'll hear from all of these leaders talking to us about these initiatives that are going into place. So even if it doesn't align with you politically, that doesn't mean you don't have to adapt towards it because it's happening. Yeah, absolutely. You do. Yeah, you can be blindsided by something you have absolutely no interest in at all. Yeah, just because it, you don't. It doesn't conspicuously affect you. Doesn't mean it doesn't affect you. Of course. All right. Wait. Let's. Yeah. yeah I, I was just going to say, if if you're following the news and you know the talk about possible infrastructure being the next thing that certainly this administration tackles, this is very very meaningful for folks in our industry. Yeah. And mm-hmm. this is very very meaningful for what does it mean for electric vehicles, etc. Frank, it's time to spin the wheel before we let you go. 
I'm going to okay, spin it not as fast as time. So it doesn't stop if I put stop any time. We don't have time for him to spin it okay, full well, Okay, so <laughs> this isn't saying that you would fall for an online scam. But if you did fall for an online scam, what scam would you most likely fall for? What scam would I most likely fall for? Um, you know, that's the that's – the, that's the, I'm sure that I have some cousin – in some faraway uh, kingdom that has left me uh, a couple of million bucks that if I, you know, am willing <laughs> to send him 50 or 60 bucks, then I can probably get that part of it. Yeah. All right. Because everybody yeah. wants to keep their fingers crossed and say, maybe this one is true. All right. Well, now we know yeah. how to get you, Frank. <laughs> For 50 bucks, why not take the chance, right? What the heck? That was a little social engineering scam question. <laughs> Now, Frank, I'm just kidding, man. We love you, buddy. Uh, thank you for playing it forward with us and answering all of our good and stupid questions. How do people reach out and learn more about you and Cleo? Um, best thing to go, best place to go to is Cleo.com. Watch one of the videos, two minutes, and you'll know everything that we can do. You can reach me through uh, any of that, any of the information on the site, or you can reach me on LinkedIn and, you know, keep in touch. Beautiful. Thank Great. you so well, much dude. for joining us again. Take care. Always fun, guys. Take care. Wayne Craig says his greatest sports moment, scoring five points, 11 wins against the number one rated women table, table tennis player in the United States in wow. 2003. No kidding. Well, that's pretty good. That's kind of like uh, bad at all. Who is that man on the moon? Andy oh, yeah, Kaufman. yeah, yeah. Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman was always going against the female athletes. Yeah, he was wrestling, though, and making fun of them. This looked like there's a legitimate, respectful match. Okay. Andy Kaufman was the one. Women should right. stay in the uh, kitchen and I'll beat him. And, He's yeah. not the Burger King. No. This is Wayne Craig we're talking about. No, Wayne Craig yeah. is not the Burger King. No. He's not the Burger King. No, he is not. You know he's not the Burger King either? The man who wrote Adapt or Die. It is Jeremy Bodenhammer. He put this great book out here. He's also the CEO and co-founder of Shiphawk, and he's here to join us right now. We're going to put this book. Put it right here for this one. There we yeah. go. That looks lovely. There you go. Here hey, you Jeremy, go. thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now we dig the book, man, and it inspired us so much. It became the, uh, the title of this episode. For those who are not familiar, though, you've been quoted in many notable magazines like TechCrunch, AOL, Fortune, Internet Retailer, and Entrepreneur. Tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and your background. Yeah, well, I, uh, I didn't get into supply chain on purpose. I kind of stumbled on it. Uh, I was working in a little uh, pack and chip store uh, in Santa Barbara here um, when I was in college and ended up buying an independent. It was like a UPS store, mailboxes, et cetera, or something. And as all this uh, business is moving online, e-commerce is picking up, uh, my phone is just ringing off the hook with customers asking me, what is the cost? And we're living in a world where shipping is, is, has been primarily driven by quotes, meaning that you get a price or a bill that's different than the initial quote that you received. Mm. And I saw margins eroding. And so started uh, Shiphawk to um, build some software to solve that problem. Very interesting. So two questions. One is, how does Bodenhammer, how did you not become a big-time wrestler with that, that last name? Um, Dropping the hammer. <laughs> but, but, but second, tell us about the book. What's in the book? What are, why, are, why are we reading this book? What, what is in it, uh, Adapt or Die? Yeah, I'll come back to the wrestling question. I've got a good answer for it. Um, so I, I wrote Adapt or Die uh, to help the independents compete against the Giants. I predict a future, uh, a very real possible future where we have five global APIs, Amazon, Walmart, Alibaba, Shopify, JD.com that control every transaction, every shipment, every order. Um, they are forcing independence through their closed supply chains onto their infrastructures and trying to lock them out. I mean, even today, FreightWaves, I'm looking at a 
uh, a feature article here, Walmart and Target among retailers spending billions to catch Amazon. So even within what I call the five APIs of the apocalypse, they're battling in numbers that independents just can't even fathom, right? So I wrote the book to help hopefully give independents a chance and give them some of the, the tools they need to be able to compete in, in the world we're living in. Do they have a chance, though? So you just mentioned it. they're spending billions of dollars, right? You have Amazon already spending a ton of money, and then you have Target and Walmart, the other big boys spending billions. I'm just an independent retailer on Shopify. Is there any hope in this, this painful, brutal world for me? Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you asked. I've got uh, case studies in the book where I detail uh, some companies that are, are actually going head to head with the giants and winning. Um, uh, you know, one example that I can give you real quick is Grove Collaborative. Not sure if you've heard of them. They sell um, natural and green uh, cleaning products and uh, beauty products. Uh, these guys started, they were Shiphawk customers when they're in a tiny office in San Francisco. Um, as of their last funding round, the company's valued over a billion dollars, and they are a direct Amazon competitor, head-to-head e-commerce, subscription boxes of you know commodity goods in many cases, and they're doing really well. Um, and so, yes, I think that independents absolutely can compete. I think guys like you and I, want to support our our local businesses and independents uh, when we have a chance. Amazon just made it so easy to not do that. And that's what these guys are that's what we're all battling against, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what are, what are those tools that are making it I don't know if it's getting easier or more difficult. I guess with new technology that's coming up, maybe you can answer that question. Would people see this and and the 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 uh, apocalypse as you point out in in adapt or die? Is this new technology and things like ship hop ship hawk excuse me uh making it easier for for uh the independents to compete in the future if they adapt to these different technologies yeah in some ways absolutely in some ways it's not even tools it's mindset of how you run your business right it's operations decisions internally so from a tool perspective uh many of the carriers especially in the parcel and less than truckload space um build tariffs to drive revenue right they're not built for ease of use and we have independent smaller shippers, mid-sized shippers that are still manually managing all of these contracts, and it's impossible. You're going to overpay, and in many cases, by extreme amounts. So Shiphawk builds software to help uh, automate the usage of those tariffs. Um, but if you want to look at uh, mindset, I mean, nine out of 10 prospects my sales team talks to have no operations goals or metrics that they're managing those goals by. And the example I give is, can you imagine running a sales team with no pipeline metrics? It's kind of would mm-hmm. blow your mind. The answer is absolutely no. Right. But we're managing the back of the house that way. Um, and so there's there's very simple things that can be done, but there's a lot of them. Right. Yeah. You put all those things together and you can make a big dent in in the operation. Now, Jeremy, in the book, is there a company or a, a situation or circumstance that just really shocked you, really stuck out to you? I mean, some of the things that may not be obvious to people not in supply chain, but stuck out to me in the book were things on like packaging decisions, putting companies in the red and just how important warehouse spacing and dimensional freight and all that kind of stuff. But what really caught your attention when you were researching this? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you two, two things. One, you just brought up, you know, there's that auto parts company I tell the story of. And this is back when the FedEx oversized fee was like 300 bucks. And it's since ballooned to, I think, $900 per shipment. And they missed an entire quarter because the, the guys in the warehouse put that one item in the wrong box. It, they were in the red. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. Um, but there's another company that, and what I learned, you know, as we're going through this, is just the magnitude of these numbers, right? And then on the big and small side. Uh, but on the small side, there's, there's a company, uh, Parker Clay. 
most people have never heard of them. They're still fairly small. They, they operate on Shopify and they make leather uh, handbags and stuff in Ethiopia. And if I told you they owned their entire supply chain and they're really a small guy, you'd, your next question would probably be like, well, how is that possible, right? And the answer is it's completely, those tools are there. They own the factory in Ethiopia. That are never out of their hands unless they're sitting with DHL. Um, and so I think that the small guy has a lot more power than um, is being uh, leveraged. Um, and it was shocking to me because there are some of these companies that are doing very well. Growth rates, just insane numbers. Um, and I think that's that's hopeful and positive for the rest of us. Wow. So, um, you know, Jeremy, one of my favorite mistakes that was ever made was uh, calling a car Nova and then trying to sell it in Mexico. Oh, <laughs> right? yeah, that didn't work out. I don't know if you know, know about that one yeah. there. We had another one. But uh, it, when you look at the buy it now button for e-commerce, how important was that? Oh, it was everything. Mm. Right. I mean, yeah, Prime is ballooned into all these different services. But at the beginning, you know, it wasn't the free shipping. You're paying for it. You're just paying for it in a different way, right? It was the ease. It was the lack of friction. Um, you could point to uh, Shopify shop pay now, right? That if you're on a Shopify site, that it's seamless. It sends you a code. The item's just shipped. It's, it's an absolutely beautiful system. Um, so I think as I think as buyers that we are really consumers, we're really, the, the you know, we're the, the problem, right? We're the <laughs> ones that are making all these purchases on Amazon and, and driving these you know, this wealth gap and all the, the byproducts of this that, that come by it um, because we're lazy. We want things as easy as possible. We want it fast. You know, I don't, it doesn't matter if it's a burrito or if it's pimple cream or razors or, you know, a new patio furniture set. We just want it to appear. Yeah. And so they've really played into that in the buy button and, you know, buy it now and, you know, one click, all that created that scenario for us takes away the opportunity too to just take it out yeah. of your cart you know you sometimes like they were i was just reading this report that gen z's favorite move now is filling up online carts and just abandoning them you can't do that yeah. when you click the buy it now button no you it can't. already it shoots out to you and with prime it enabled that so 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 much hey jeremy before we let you go where do people go and reach out and get a copy of this great book so you can get it on any major retailer uh including amazon even after <laughs> all my trash talk here right there. um <laughs> You could get it I've, on my website on jeremybodenhammer.com. I have links to independent book retailers, even local bookstores you can buy it at. If you buy it from my local bookstore here, you'll get a signed copy. Um, that's jeremybodenhammer.com. I've also got a uh, shipping strategy assessment on there to help people uh, really analyze their, their operations and see where the opportunities lie. Well, thank you, Jeremy. And listeners, uh, I recommend this one. I've already read it so far. It's a great book. Excellent. Thank you once again. Thank you. All right, take it easy. Now it's time for a little big deal, little deal. Oh, we, uh, so we get out of the show. Let's do it. All right, the New York Times, big deal, little deal. Number one, the New York Times covered global shipping, but not every trade journal is happy. Big deal or little deal? This one is actually from Matt Leonard. He said, the thing trade journalists find frustrating about outlets like the New York Times is they pick up a story, put four reporters on it, and act like they found it under a rock while basically re-reporting what trade outlets have been saying for months. Other than that, the ocean story was good. Big deal or little deal? <laughs> I think it's an excellent assessment. Yeah. Uh, so if I'm talking about Matt Leonard and his and his comments, yeah. I think it's an a, an excellent assessment. I think it's a big deal for those for those journals that do that because they're being disrupted 
by people like Freight Waves yeah. and others that are on top of these different things. As far as the story is concerned, it's a huge deal. What's going on sure. out there, right? Well, I would In say for me, I would say the the ang- I would say it's more of a bitter deal. It's more of a bitter deal. A bitter. Right. I like Matt. I like Matt. But bitter I think, deal. Yeah. So what okay. happens is, like trade journalists, I think they get kind of like a hipsterism in it. Sure. It's like when you see your favorite band on the cover of Rolling Stone. Like, I want freight to go mainstream. I want to normalize conversations around freight. That's my thesis. That's my goal. It's right out here, out in the open. I want this stuff to be mainstream. So the New York Times covering it is phenomenal because it increases the awareness and it broadens the conversation. It brings more people into the fold. Then they may read that article and they research, hey, I want to know more about poor congestion. Then Freight Waves comes up. Then What the Truck comes up. Then other journalist publications come up. So I like the runoff. I'm all for it. That's a, that's a solid point, and I, and I don't, do not disagree with that. Uh, yeah. What I would say is that maybe they could be more timely. They could be. Yeah, I mean, but they, they did get, like, That's here's one point. quote. Here's one quote from the story. Here's Peter yeah. Baum's company in New York, Baum Essex. He used factories in China and Southeast Asia to help make umbrellas for Costco, cotton bags for Walmart, ceramics for Bed Bath & Beyond. And he's a mainstream journalist. So what he did here is he, he tethered this into what I like to do, which is into things people actually buy. And then he's talking about yeah. how he was paying $2,500 to ship a 40-foot container to California, and now he's paying 6000 to $7,000. Yeah, Tangible huge. numbers, they make sense. The highest freight rate he's paid in 45 years. I have no problem with the mainstream coming and playing in my pool. No, I don't have any problem with that at all either. I don't, I don't either. I agree with you. But here's something that's an issue. Yeah. American Trucking Association uh, cancels the National <laughs> Truck Driving Championship again. This is the second year in a row. Uh, yeah. And I think last year was the first time since World War II. Yeah, well, Chris Beer, he said, you know, we do not take this decision lightly. It's the Super Bowl of safety. It and is. As you mentioned, had not been canceled since World War II until last year. So it already, it already got canceled. That was a bigger deal last year when it got canceled. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So started, but damn. Going to August, I don't know. You know. A lot of people are starting to get, do they need to cancel it? I, I'm not really sure. Yeah, that was my take on it as well. I thought that's which way you were going to go to. Yeah. The bigger deal is why is it COVID-related if they're talking about August? Do they know something we don't know? Because I'm thinking August might be a pretty decent time to schedule it. But Gats, hoping. Gats canceled too. But yeah, they canceled early. They canceled a little earlier into this rollout. And now, I know. and maybe we're just being biased because we're seeing in Chattanooga, they're starting to do phase three and all that kind of stuff. They're starting to hit the one C's. Yeah. But it seems like by next month, they'll start having a lot of the general public. And Yeah, maybe we're just way ahead of everybody else. Yeah. There's places where it's so bad. Gats being done. St. Christopher's Fund. That's one of their biggest fundraising places. It would. I know. I can't wait. I hope they come to F3 so we can meet them there. I F3, November, too. what was it? November 8th to the 10th? I believe that's right. November 8th to 10th, 595 bucks. You get a big discount on it. How Three much? days in person. $595. Yeah, that isn't regular, like $2,500 $2,500 regularly. <laughs> Three-day event. Three-day event. 30-plus nice. locations here in Chattanooga. Get to hang out with us. You get to hang out with all your friends you haven't seen in, in years. Well, almost Let's years do the math. That's better almost than half off. Yeah, it's a great deal. It's a great deal. You'll even learn about something we have called Freightwave Sonar. And Freightwave Sonar has added intermodal savings versus truckload tickers. Big deal or little deal, dude? You know, I think it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, we've we've looked at, we've had a long time uh, looked at the uh, uh, Freightos Baltic index and the price uh, between um, uh, you know, like uh, China to uh, North America West and East, and you could look at those and then look at the intermodal uh, costs. Uh, between the two coasts as well to, to, to look at what you're doing. Now you've got the, the difference between the intermodal and the over-the-road cost to uh, add into those different indices. And now you've got some really good insights into costs and making decisions. Uh, and it's very, very timely with the port congestions, right? As we've talked about people trying to say, okay, we get, we're going to next shipment's going to go through L.A. I think not. Let's put it through Mobile. Let's put it through the East Coast, or let's take it up to the West Coast, further north up the West Coast. Uh, and you can make some, some good informed decisions as to how and where to put that 
port of entry in the United States based on over-the-road and intermodal costs, coming out along com- with many other things. Coming at the right time, too, because whenever, like if you remember in 2000, uh, 2018, 2018, yeah, right? I do. The conversation about switching from just regular straight drive-in freight to going intermodal to start throwing it on the rail really started to ratchet up because there's a certain break-even point when this makes sense. Yeah. And now these indexes and sonar can help guide you and make those decisions wisely. By the way, Eric Mazzotti says, nice what the truck, guys. TB in the house. Love TB Nation. Thanks for joining us. Hey, man. Yeah, we absolutely love TB Nation, don't we? <laughs> what else we got? Oh, yeah. So here, here's a good This is right up your alley, man. You All love right. the Transformers, right? I do. I watched it with the kids. I, I, I indoctrinated them into the original, um, the original cartoon and Transformers the movie. It has uh, that wonderful Mark Wahlberg song, You've Got the Touch. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Marky well, Mark. sang it in Boogie Nights. Marky Mark. Marky Mark. He sings <laughs> Marky it in Boogie Mark. Nights. <laughs> Your neighborhood sings in the movie. Uh, yeah, so the, the Bumblebee, Bumblebee movie. You know the Bumblebee what? movie, right? Yeah, so, I like it. All right. So the Optimus Prime from there. You can get that for $21,000 on what? Facebook Marketplace. Wow. Big deal, little deal. They've even got a description of it on there, bro. What does it say? Oh, oh it's a 1987 Freightliner, right? It's an 87 Freightliner yeah. COE. It's uh, 21600 bucks. I mean, that's a beautiful-looking truck, isn't it? It's a beautiful-looking truck, and the only reason the guy's getting rid of it is because he wants more creature comforts inside his. He said it's a regular workhorse. He's putting 2,500 miles uh, a week on it. Uh, I'm trying to sell this for you, my brother. Maybe I'll get a finder's fee here. And uh... <laughs> What does Nicola know that we don't know? Because they they decided to bring back the cab overs with the tray. I, I don't know. I'll tell you what. In my, my time in LTL, we had, uh, we had uh, cab overs. I loved them, for, definitely for LTL work and city work. Yeah. No, I mean, they make sense for that. It was like yeah. garbage trucks and those kind of things. They're awesome. I mean, I, I dig. I mean, when you got NFT tokens going of like Nyan Cat for what was that six hundred thousand dollars? Six hundred thousand dollars. Even like a ripoff. It got of beat Doge. out. I, I mean, like five ninety nine on there, and it got me at six hundred. They had a Doge coin ripoff of Nyan Cat, and that sold for sixty eight thousand. Screen accurate, screen accurate Optimus Prime twenty one thousand. Uh, this doesn't seem right. Doesn't seem right. That should be at least a quarter, three quarter million. I think so. I mean, that Bumblebee is a good one, and they're, they're supposed to make a sequel as well. But the pandemic yeah. kind of got I a lot of I think we could get people on Facebook Marketplace and drive up that price. I we should Start buy it bidding. first and relist it ourselves. Yeah, that's a better point. Let's buy it that? first and then we'll do that. Would you guys buy a cab over like that? You know, when I was looking at houses, one of the houses I wanted to get was uh, Buffalo Bill's house, the Science Lambs one. Oh, I think God. we covered on this house, but we, I decided against it because didn't have the well in the basement to put someone in. It, was it a replica or was it the? No, it was the real house. Did they fill in the well? So, or was no, there no, never no. Really the well, well was a soundstage. Oh, so there never really? was actually a well in the oh, basement. Oh, well, that that just detracts from the, the whole story of Buffalo Bill, yeah. doesn't it? I mean, the basement wasn't quite as creepy as it, it wasn't. Uh, no, but they have like a bar not. and stuff like that set up. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, it was still creepy, just okay. not as creepy. It didn't have like a, a woman and a small dog asking for lotion to be rubbed on its skin <laughs> in the. Uh... <laughs> In the basement. Hey, we got another event coming up. We got another virtual event. This one's in partnership with Evolve. It is happening. Um, happening when? when? The this 10th. Wednesday. When's the 10th? Wednesday's the this 10th. Wednesday. That's when it's happening. Yeah. We've got a segment from there. Yeah, we do. It's going to be a good time. It is. It with, uh, who is it? Ryan Hunt, CEO Ryan, and oh yeah, founder. Right. Ryan Hunt with Rig, Rig, Rig Callout. Rig Callout. Visibility into the oil fields and all the movements from uh, here to there, A to B, giving yeah. you visibility for planning and that type of stuff. So that means right. Wednesday we'll just have a – I think we only have a 20-minute show coming to you from that event. So check it out. We'll have a full regular show coming up Friday, noon Eastern time. Subscribe to the What the Truck newsletter, freightwaves.com slash WTT. You can find the show on your favorite podcast player. Just look at What the Truck. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Duda. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Thank you to all our guests. Adapt or die. Peace and love. 